all at least the ones that we've had written out. Okay, for the first one. Is there a problem with contemporary music's focus on emotional response from the congregation to the song? In short, yes. There's nothing wrong with emotions. The psalms are full of them. And we should not uh, shrink from them, right? David, oh, my heart cries out in me. And Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What could be worse than feeling that God has forsaken you? But when you're talking about emotion, you're talking about getting overwrought. You know what I'm saying. So there's, there's looking to God with your emotions, and there's just being emotional. And sometimes music can play on people's emotions to try to get a response. Okay, that's not what, that's not what good music does. It's one thing for a good, strong music to ennoble you and uplift you in praise. It's another thing for it to just overwhelm you with emotion. And some, some music can do that. So yes, you don't want to have what I would call an emotional response, but you want to sing with emotion and with all your heart. I'll leave it at that and try to answer more briefly than I have done in the past. Since we're almost done, it's probably a good time to learn how to be brief, right? I mean, better late than never. We combine two of them here. They're, they're kind of related. What are, the, what are your views on contemporary Christian music, like what is on the radio today, and should a Christian refrain from listening to secular music? Uh, okay. Views on contemporary music like what's on the radio. If what you mean, like in St. Louis, we have a station called 99.1. It's mostly, you know, I'm going to raise Yahweh. You know, that kind of stuff, right? That's, yeah, my view is that um, it's jubilant. I, I get it. I say listen to it in your car, okay? Listen to it at home. I like some of that stuff. I like uh, Indelible Grace has done a good, um, do you, anybody know about Indelible Grace? Have you heard of them? They set old texts. The nice thing about them is they use the old text to, let's see if I can think of one. Okay, I'll play one. There's a, there's a very great hymn, uh, I think it was Charles Wesley that goes, uh, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears, thy bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Okay? It's like, get up, arise. He's, he's done it for you. Well, the Indelebrace said, like, Arise, my soul, dun, dun, shake off thy guilty fears. My bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. And it has the chorus, arise, 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 my soul, arise, and pray. Something like that, okay? I found myself actually at a kind of a downtime in my life listening to that in the car, and, and it actually ministered to me. So I'm not saying never listen to Christian contemporary music. I'm just saying... That isn't the thing, it wouldn't serve the liturgy very well, I don't think, because of some of the reasons we said. So I wouldn't use it like in, in the service. And I would also say, just be careful. I mean, listen to it if you like, but steep yourself. Also listen to Bach. Listen to some of these things that I've exposed you to. Get that in you, because frankly, as I mentioned, the music will form you. If you're just only listening to the, the rock out stuff, You'll be a rock out. <laughs> it will form you. So um, I'm, I'm not trying to ban it entirely, but I'm just saying, because that's so much around us today. You turn on the TV, every commercial, every, you go to the ball game, that's all they play. It's so around you that try to, try to balance that with the other music. You have it with you Sunday. Get it into your personal lives too. Does that make sense? Okay. 
Um, should a Christian refrain from listening to secular music? Depends what you mean by secular, I guess, but I assume you mean like, you know, pop music and things. I think you need to be very, very careful. Um, and because the music, music does have a message. I don't want to be a hypocrite, I will say. I do listen to, I listen to some jazz and some music that's out there in the world. Um, so I, I don't want to say, oh, don't, and then I do. But you do need to be aware that, um, the, again, the music, the form of the music has a message. And frankly, this time we can talk about the words because it's coming from a secular viewpoint. The words can just be simply, you know, anti everything we're trying to be as Christians, right? So, so I think you have to be very, very careful at what you take in because it will affect you both what you think and then the, the message of the music itself. So you should be very, be, be very uh, cognizant. This gets back <clears throat> to talking about uh, instruments Verse, uh, music with instruments versus just a cappella. Uh, Can you talk about the significance of instruments in song and why we would tend to worship and sing with instruments in some of our traditions mm -hmm. rather than a cappella as other traditions prefer? Right, right. Uh, is as music is glorified speech, are instruments a way to glorify music? Yes, instruments are a way to glorify music and I think you can easily hear that mm -hmm. when we listen to the Bach example, the cantata that you all sang along despite my direction. Um, how could you not say that was glorious, right? Um, however, I will, say, I will say this. The most glorious thing is the human voice. The human voice has the dimension of the word of God along with it. And the music, the instrument should never be primary. And in, in some traditions, some in the contemporary, for example, when they really go at it, sometimes it's almost like it doesn't matter what they're saying. It's just I want to get into the, I want to get, especially the more, the, the more rock-oriented. I'm, I'm not criticizing the, the more, hey, let's lead us in worship now, praise choruses, where you can actually hear what they're saying. But some churches, they just really get down on it, and it's so mic'd and amplified you can't hear. The instruments take over is what I'm saying, and they replace the people. So it's how you do it. Be sure that whatever musical genre you pick, the voice, ha in worship, the voice has to be preeminent. And that's why some of the traditions don't use an instrument at all. They feel like, let's just be the living church. We're the living temple. Let's be the living instruments. We don't need the instruments. I believe they can glorify, but keep the instruments, uh, keep the vocals primary. Let me make sure I, yeah. And, and we have David's example uh, in, in the Psalms, too. What is the place of a choir? in ah. the church versus only congregational singing? What is the right way to do a choir? When might a church be ready for a choir? Ah, good point. Well, first of all, you all are the choir. I mean, you are the people of God, and, and the music of the church is written for you. It's your hymns, your psalms, your chants. Um, it's your chance to chant. Okay. Um, the choir should be an addition to that and never a place. We should never go back to in the medieval where the choir, it was just the choir. As glorious as that music was, and it was some of the best music ever written, it replaced the congregational singing. So the choir can supplement. And, um, but the best use for the choir, frankly, is to have them bolstering the people. Maybe if the people are singing the melody, the, or the choir can sing harmony. In a church like yours, you all sing harmony, which is great, or learning to. Um, also, the choir can do harder pieces, like those Bach cantatas. They were performed in Sunday worship. Bach wrote one like every week or so. It's crazy. Um, 
and the choir would do those. So, so the, the choirs can enhance the worship with music that the congregation can't usually pull off. But it has to be, you have to be careful. It isn't just showy music. And now the choir will sing something. And it's not connected to anything. It's just, wow, that was a great piece. It needs to support the liturgy. It needs to be focused on the word. Um, doesn't need to, you never want to stop the accent. Now we're going to have a special number. We don't do that at Providence. We sing during the offering. It's like the, as the offering is being passed, the choir is, in, in fact, kind of giving their musical offering to supplement it. We don't just stop and say, now we're going to listen to the choir. Very seldom do we would do something like that. When might a church be ready for a choir? Um, well, when you have willing people that want to learn how to sing in parts and someone to lead, lead them that's willing to take that on um, and someone who's skilled at accompanying that can help, help learn the parts. Um, but I'd say first focus on, always focus first on Letting the people sing, get, getting the people musically literate. As you do that and as more people are comfortable with singing, and don't, don't necessarily first sing the parts, make people comfortable with the good church melodies that are in there. Broaden to the parts, work hard on the ones. Some of the songs actually are very complex. We didn't work on them where they start together and then just the basses will sing. You know that one that goes, I forget what it is. Work on those slowly, and then you're building the people as a choir, and then some of them you can peel off and say, hey, can you practice every Wednesday night? So start it from the people and let it, because let it, we don't have people that just decide to join the choir and don't know. They've, they've be, well, we do have some, but mostly they're people that have sung before and have learned, so not such a good on being brief on that one. How do we get to a point where we can train up more box? <laughs> wow. Well, the Lutherans have it figured out. They have choir, college, you know, they, they have institutions. Um, that's the thing. Uh, Presbyterians, we're, we're focused on our seminaries. We don't, ha we don't necessarily believe in training our seminarians and stuff to be musical. I didn't mention this point. Luther felt that if a, if a, if a, if a, a minister couldn't sing or be musical, they shouldn't lead worship. They, like, you have to have both. And I'm not saying that, that that's the case. My point is how strongly he felt because the pastors lead in the liturgy and they sing, you know, the Lord be with you, and also, right? So it has to start in the seminaries where we're training the pastors and trickle down. And then the, sadly, in the reform side, we're, not, we're all about the doctrine and the pastors and we're not about the musicians. We as denominations don't train up our own musicians. The Lutherans do, the reform don't. So I would think it'd have to start there. If not there, then individual churches can do it. Maybe in your church you have someone who's really good and has a passion for that. And maybe families, you start train up your own little box. I see a lot of <laughs> little box around that want to learn about the organ. They were huddled over my shoulders, right? You have, you have a phenomenal opportunity right here. So train your own children, uh, um, teach them music, um, and keep them in the church and let the music of the church filter into their souls. Have them sing lots of hymns. How do you think recorded music has changed our relationship with music generally and church music particularly? These are great questions, by the way. Well done. Even if Rob did right half of them and planned for me to ask. No. <laughs> that's, that's a real problem um, because technology has given us the ability to record. We can consume music now. We're music consumers. And sadly, in a lot of churches, you know, especially men, oh, I don't want to sing. You hear only ladies' voices, and the men are just being very quiet. They don't sing out. Well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a singer. I, 
like only certain people sing. No, everybody sings. You sing in the shower, don't you? Well, yeah, but you know, you sing, yeah, well, I don't sing in church, okay? We've turned into a music consumption society. Back in the day, every family had a piano or harmonica or something, and you know, they didn't have like, TVs and stuff, right? So you gathered around the piano and everybody played, or right? And you know, kind of, we used to read our kids, what was that, Little Farmer Boy, Little, the, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yeah. What's Farmer it called? Boy. Little House in the Prairie, Farmer Boy, right? Okay, they're all doing little home, you know, gathering around and, you know, right, okay? It's so, you know, when families would gather and, and music was nurtured and everybody could sing in parts, gosh, everybody took the hymn book home, right? You, everybody did music. You didn't buy it on iTunes, you did it. Well, now we're too time for that. We're too busy for that. There's other pursuits. There's electronics. You can consume it. So, right, okay? So it's, it's moved out of the house and into the concert halls and into the radio and things like that. What's a simple nutshell way to know if the music that you are singing or listening to is truly praising God? And as an example, can we praise God when singing, for instance, a lament in the songs? Ah. Can we praise him? Well, I would say, ah, and I forgot to say this, singing is sung prayer, okay? Usually, I mean, unless you're singing about, if you're singing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, you're testifying. Hey, everybody, isn't it great to know that I'm saved? That's not a prayer. But singing, um, you know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. That's a prayer, okay? So, I would think even if you're lamenting, you're still praising him, you're still trusting him. But I understand that praise is different than lament. But if you're saying, oh, well, if we lament, are we not praising him? I would say don't worry about that. If you're singing a song of lament, it's okay if you're lamenting. Go ahead and lament. You can praise him in the next hymn, so that's fine. Um, how to know if the music is listening or praising God, pleasing God? Wow. Well, I have to say in one way, I don't want to speak for God. Um, although I guess I am right now, but... I think he's, back to what I said, I think he's pleased with the offering of your heart. Um, what we're trying to find out, though, it, we, we, what we've done here is to try to find music which is beautiful, the most beautiful music, the most tuneful, the most in tune with the text. I, I don't know that I can say it's a simple nutshell. I really, I, I guess I, I don't know that I can make it in a nutshell. I've talked about it for hours um, I think I would say if, if you are worried that your music is, I would, I would set your heart at ease and say just sing to the Lord with all your heart, rejoice and, and, and let, let the music leaders of the church pick the music for you and you know I, I'm speaking largely to them in many cases as they set music before you, sing it with your heart and you will be pleasing to the Lord and you won't have to worry about that. Did the evolution of secular music mirror the progression of church music, ah. or how did they differ? That's a good point. Yes, yes, they did, and it's, prob it's probably, it would probably be not fair to say that none of the, you know, I've, I've talked about, well, you know, we don't want the modern, you know, rock music or whatever to filter in today's church, you know, watch out for that. Well, that has happened to some extent. Well, I can't say that it hasn't happened 
in previous eras. You know, I'm, I'm sure that some of the art music, you know, I mean, when Mozart wrote music, and he, if he did, you know, music for the church, I'm sure it was in the Mozartian style. So I, I have to say that there may be some church music that probably, even in the older church music, may reflect the music of the world, of its world, more than the music of organically of the church. Um, and that's, that's one thing to be aware of. And, and, but on the other hand, this is something I want to say. This is interesting. You know, you could take the position that if, only if the church developed it, you should sing it. So, and the fact that is the position, I think, the Catholic Church often feels like we should only sing Gregorian chant because that was nurtured within the church. Sometimes we spoil the Egyptians, if you will, and take their music. Some of you know the song, Oh God, beyond all praising. Do you know that one? Na, 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 na. That was taken from Gustav Holt's Planets. That's actually a classical piece. And there'll be some that will say, well, we should not do classical music in church. I would say, yes, that's true. If you're thinking, oh, gosh, I'm singing the planets, then no, because that's association. But if you're thinking, oh, wow, that's that wonderful hymn, oh, God, be it, then we've successfully made it. And the music is wonderful and sturdy. So, yeah, there has been a little interplay back and forth. And all I can say is you have to be cognizant and careful. And I really can't probably get into too much more detail on that. Or I should, but not... Not in the time we have here. Was there political church opposition to adding harmonies to mono? Oh, yes. I forgot about talking about harmonies, how that added. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, we started out with a chant, and then um, when they went to two-part, and that was still kind of medieval. When we went to the full harmony, um, yeah, that might, have been, that might have seemed to have been outre, if you use the word. I don't really know about the political church opposition, but I'm sure, any, and this is something that we have to be careful about. I mean, I want to be humble and admit that, you know, you don't want to just always sing the old stuff because what I've told you is the story has changed. We're not just, I'm not saying to you today, all you should sing is Gregorian chant or all you should do is figure out how Ambrose sung that hymn, the 300s, and sing it that way, right? I've told you a story how music's grown and changed, right? So we should be open to change even in our day. And folks like me should be, and maybe more than I am, open to listening to the best of what's happening in the church today. And, you know, even Christ, when he came, he, his biggest enemies were the, the Pharisees, right? He was like, hey, um, stick to the scriptures, but you have all your traditions instead. So we need to be careful and I'm sure there was opposition, and it's, it's tough to sort out because you don't want to throw out the good things, and, but you also don't want to be so hidebound that you can't recognize when the Spirit is moving. And I don't really have good principles on, I mean, well, I have, but it's, it's hard to tell. I, I take each song on kind of a case-by-case -case basis on that, and I can't comment too much with authority yet on exactly what the church was saying at when about the modal and all when they went to the harmony, but I know it was a move away from what was originally done for hundreds of years. So I imagine there was opposition to it. So this is on the, the development of music along with instruments mm -hmm. and how those came together. Uh, seeing I mean, music, as you said, was physically present in the universe. Right. Uh, coming from there. Um, so then there was the piano was developed to use that. So it's comment on the connection between okay. the development of music and the development of instruments. Okay, well, the earliest church was singing with instruments in the times of the Psalms. 
okay? Then, for a time, there was no instruments. I'm, I'm guessing during the early church era and in the early medieval era with the Gregorian chant, Gregorian chants, there was no instruments. My guess is the instruments came in in, like in the Renaissance period, in the 13th, 14th, 1500s. Um, some traditions didn't use them in the church, as I mentioned, Geneva. In the Lutheran tradition, uh, instruments became allowed and finally embraced when we get to Bach and probably earlier. Um, and I believe, and I'm not really uh, cognizant of all the dates and things, but it was probably an organic adding um, over time and started out with simpler instruments and got more complex. Specifically, the piano, again, the p modern day piano as we know it, I'm gonna kind of repeat my answer to the gentleman um, that was seated over there earlier. The modern piano, I believe, is uh, probably from the 1800s. Mozart's piano in the 1790s, he lived in 1756 to 1791, was the piano forte, a lighter version of the piano with hammers, um, but, but much lighter not used for worship, used for court music. Before that was the harpsichord used in the, in the Baroque, Bach, Handel. Um, also not used for worship, used for instrumental. Thing. Well, it was used in, in like Handel's Messiah, in oratorios and Bach's cantatas, but not used at church. The organ, once we moved from a cappella into accompanying music, the organ became the, the instrument of the church in the Roman church, probably like around 1250, I think, and has never left the church. In fact, the Catholic Church will still say it is the primary uh, instrument that should be used to support the vocal singing. So the piano, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's percussive. It, like an organ, it covers all the harmonics, all the, all the parts. One person can give all four parts to support the part singing. Otherwise, you need a cello and a viola and a violin, right? Um, like the organ. Organ and piano cover all the parts, one person. It's, it's fine for that. It gives a percussive nature when using a or little orchestra like you have here with the piano, cello, violin. I would love to have all that at my church. I have a, a couple of violins. I used to have maybe eight. Uh, so, but it, the actually using dust, just the piano to accompany hymns is actually a kind of a late thing, actually historically in the church. I'm not saying it's a bad or you shouldn't do. I'm just pointing out how it occurred, whereas how the organ came in much, much earlier. In the history of the church, mm -hmm. who were the singers? For instance, early on, was it only the uh, monks, for instance, that were singing? Okay. Early, early in the church, in the Hebrew church, it was the Levites. I don't know if the people ever sung, but I know at least there was a skilled, paid, funded, you know, the Levites, they had their portions provided for them. That was you know, the tithes of the people went to support this professional cadre of musicians. 120 trumpets alone, right? Scores of lyres and cymbals, okay? It must have been hugely celebratory, okay? Um, and, and, and so it was the Levitical choir, which is where we get, you know, the model for choirs today. Um, and then again in the late medieval ages that happened and also in throughout the middle ages the monks and things would develop the chant so for a lot of church history yes choirs were just doing the music but i have to believe that in the early church era once we had the the simpler hymns that the church fathers wrote and luther and things the music was designed even gregorian chant i believe i've read was designed to be sung by the people not just the, the choirs the simple chants. Da, 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 da. people could sing that 
Um, so we never want to go away. We never want to just have choirs. We always want the people to be able to sing. Um, you know, sing to the Lord, you righteous, you righteous choir folks. The rest of you, no. <laughs> you know, we don't want that. Wow. That's it. And we are... About that. We have time for one other question, if someone has one. How about that? Praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Uh, text by, translated by Catherine Winkworth, my favorite um, hymn writer or translator, for lots of reasons. Yes. Oh, can you repeat that question? <laughs> yeah. I had a, this is funny. I had a, I was on a mission trip once with, with our whole family and several others from our church to Juarez, Mexico to do an English camp. And I was uh, in, in our, our room, well, in a hotel or motel, was myself, our son Daniel, uh, and two other good friends from the church his age. Um, I think, right, all... Yeah, so a foursome. And somehow we got talking about church music. And they're like, let's see how you well know the hymnal. Number, number 50, oh, that's praise to the Lord the Almighty. Number 434, oh, that's how lovely shines the morning star. These are the blue Trinity hymnal. Um, and I can do that on, on many hymns. And then finally they said, number 286 or something. They said, yes, that's a great hymn. I didn't even tell them the title. And they, to this day... It's kind of a catch line in our family. Yes, that's a great hymn. Is that what you meant? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every hymn is my favorite. So lots of favorites. So many of my favorites we didn't get to sing because I talked too much. We just should have sung more. But that's okay. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me.